Hi, this is Justin Hibbert, and you're listening to Why Catholic, my podcast about the what and why of Catholicism. If you've been following along, you know that we are in the middle of a series on the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. In our last episode, we talked about the diversity of the Catholic church, and I mentioned World Youth Day, an enormous gathering of Catholics from literally all over the world. World Youth Day just wrapped up a couple of weeks ago in Lisbon, Portugal at the time of this recording, and so I invited a friend of mine, Michael Snellen, to share about his experience attending World Youth Day. A little bit about Michael, and then I'll get to the interview. Michael, like me, is a former Protestant and Catholic convert. Michael is the host of Catholicism for the Modern World, which I've linked to in the show notes. Michael actually recently interviewed me on my faith journey, and I've also linked to that episode as well. Here's my interview with Mr. Michael Snellen. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. It's good to be here. Well, I, I want to start off by just um, letting our audience know where to find you. So tell, tell me a little bit about your podcast and where people can find it. So the name of the podcast is the Catholicism for the Modern World podcast, a very long name. Uh, you'll probably have to re-listen to that. So I'll say it again, the Catholicism for the Modern World podcast. Um, I've heard it pronounced every which way. No one ever gets it right the first time. Um, But that is on every platform, mainly on YouTube. That's where you'll see the videos. So I recommend everyone to go to YouTube uh, to check us out. We also have a website, of course, just the same name, uh, .com afterwards. So yeah, definitely check us out. We have lots of interesting interviews, lots of interesting videos. Yeah. And your, and your videos are a lot more engaging than mine, uh, because mine is mainly audio and that, you know, if, if I post this video, people would see that I'm in my car because this is a, a great sound booth. <laughs> so yeah. well, Michael, um, I want to begin by talking about your story because we share something in common. We both came from a Protestant background and converted to uh, converted to Catholicism. So, tell me a little bit about your story, where where you where you begin in that journey. Yeah, so uh, not to go too far back, I guess I really go back to vacation Bible school during my middle school years. Um, that was really the peak of my spirituality. Um, for several years, most of my life, really, just the ABCs of salvation, admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus, and confess your sins to God. Um, So yeah, that was my foundation. And even then, my family would go through periods where we would only go to church on the holidays, uh, Christmas and Easter, really, those two holidays. Um, A lot of Baptists are like that. I'm sure a lot of Catholics are like that as well, but in the Baptist church, it's not really a commitment to go every week. Um, Like if you don't show up for a month, no one notices, no one says a word. Uh, So that was one of the big differences, but uh, continuing along, continuing along. um, I was really interested in like the, the scientific, um, I don't know what you would call it, not the new atheist movement, but like the Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, people, the people you'd see on the Joe Rogan podcast. Um, all of those modern intellectuals who were asking big questions. Uh, and though I'd really never um, call myself an atheist, I did kind of tend toward the agnostic side of things, especially in high school, though I would have still, um, if anyone asked, I would have said I was a Christian. I always had that belief in God, um, really coming from vacation Bible school and uh, also being developed by playing basketball. There's a lot of um, Christian influence, like on the NBA or just, uh, in a middle school basketball league, you always pray before games or pray after games. So I had that, um, yeah, like high school, I didn't really have a good foundation coming from that Baptist background. So that really disappeared once, uh, um, got a car and started going to my friends' houses on the weekends. And, um, my like, interest in like religion, formal religion never came back until college. My roommate was a Catholic and he, he would take me to mass on, um, every Sunday, of course, like once a month. So he didn't go to mass every week as well. Um, but that was a good influence. Just me going to a Catholic church really for the first time. Um, and so, yeah, I read the Bible. That was another big, uh, milestone, just deciding to read the Bible um, and I'll also provide some context here. So it was during the pandemic, 
there was a lot of time for uh, reading, a lot of time for thinking. It was kind of like a forced isolation or forced solitude, which was a good thing at the time for me. I was um, with my friends almost every day, or I was playing video games, um, distracted with a lot of things. So that that uh, that characterizes my high school period, just distraction. So getting out of that um, and really kind of going outside and taking a book along with me, reading Ecclesiastes in the woods. I remember that for some reason. Um, I was really interested in philosophy, like the Jordan Peterson type of people. Uh, and so that really got me interested enough to read the Bible, to sit down and read the Bible. And it was really the book of John, just the mystical of that that kickstarted things that um, really I, after reading the book of John I, I kind of knew that God was real um, like maybe in high school I, I would have said that but I never really experienced that or I never really paid much attention to that like what does it mean that I would have to do if God does exist and so uh, that first year of college it was a year away from like the stability I had during high school I was away from my parents away from a lot of friends, <clears throat> uh, bad influences. So, um, yeah, just like the pandemic really um, was the start of my spirituality. So when I came home from college that uh, for the summer, summer break, I wanted to go to a church on my own to really research all the denominations. Um, so, yeah, I must mention that I didn't particularly like the Catholic church I went to in college. It was never really explained to me. Um, I just kind of went for the social aspect of it. So when it came to deciding what church I wanted to go to, like the Baptist church and the Catholic church were the two churches I um, pretty much ruled out. I didn't research those at first. So I did research the Lutheran church. There was a YouTube channel called 10 minute Bible hour. I know that. Yeah. Really good. Um, Really good introduction to all of the churches. <clears throat> yeah. Excuse in me. fact, I, I watched that early on in my in my conversion experience to Catholicism because he went and interviewed the bishop or the priest at the uh, at the cathedral in Salt Lake City, and so that's yeah. that's our home cathedral. And so, uh, yeah, that was I was so intrigued by that, and I still think about um, that dialogue. And so that, I think that was a, a big impetus for for me <laughs> becoming Catholic. So it's oh, funny. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I watched, um, I'm not sure if you saw the Lutheran guy. There's a Lutheran uh, priest, I guess you would call him. And he was very uh, outgoing, very engaging, very thoughtful. So he actually convinced me about a lot of the Catholic positions. He changed my mind about infant baptism, um, really about just kind of baptism in general. Like salvation isn't something that you do once and it's over with. Um, like as a Baptist would believe you uh, pray the sinner's prayer. And then um, during the altar call, and it's over from there. Um, Lutherans do kind of have that more lifelong spirituality, that development. Um, and that was really the main thing that kind of led me back towards Catholicism. Um, so it is kind of ironic how just learning about the Lutheran church kind of convinced me of the Catholic positions um, and so once I saw like a father Mike Schmidt's video about uh, why be Catholic and not just Christian, that was really um, it only took like that video, uh, maybe a few lectures. There was a monk I was watching. Um, just all of that really convinced me of the need for the Catholic Church, the unity of the Catholic Church, um, particularly the papacy, like having that leader at the top, because I saw the problems the Lutheran Church was having. Um, every other church was having. Um, so yeah, that and kind of my thinking then was why only go halfway? Like why go back, uh, say 600 years to the Lutheran church? Why not go back all the way to the Catholic church, the church that has that 2000 year um, legacy, that uh, lasting tradition, that lasting culture, um, just, yeah, just realizing the beauty of the Catholic Church is ultimately uh, what brought me home to Rome. So did you, um, as you were going through this experience, uh, what what were maybe some of the, the big hurdles and hangups that you, you had to uh, overcome? Ooh, that's a really good question. I haven't thought about that 
in probably two years. So um, <laughs> my conversion was two years ago. Uh, yeah, see, that reminded me. Um, it, so I was only baptized last November. So you say, oh, that two-year difference, it's a long period. Deciding to become Catholic two years ago, but only actually being baptized last November. Um, so yeah, just that Baptist mindset of only going to church like once a month or only on the holidays, that stuck with me. Even once I like decided to be Catholic, I made that decision to become Catholic. Um, I went to church, went to mass for the first time on my own, July 4th of 2021. I remember that day, of course, being July 4th. Um, Another interesting thing is I made the decision to become Catholic June 29th, which is the feast day of St. Peter and St. Paul. I didn't know that at the time, but um, I definitely have a devotion to both of them. Uh, This is an audio podcast, but there's an icon of St. Paul in the background. Um, Yeah, just uh, going back to college that August, and that was uh, to a different college. It was to a community college. I dropped out of university. Um, I really isolated myself. This was a big, um, regret of mine. Uh, I don't really have any regrets, but this wasn't a good thing to do to isolate myself by going to, 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 to community college, really, um, focusing on writing. I wrote probably four drafts of fiction novels, like during a five month period. So that was, um, the most introverted thing I could do, just writing and going to community college, coming home and doing nothing else. Um, And so, yeah, I was like, I can't participate uh, at mass yet. I can't consume the Eucharist. I'm not baptized yet. Uh, And I was kind of skeptical of RCIA. I was like, why do I, I've already read the Bible. I've already researched a lot of things on my own. Why do I need to go to RCIA? Um, so yeah, like me then, I definitely needed to go to RCIA, just having that pride, that resistance to it. Um, so yeah, I kind of waited until December. That's kind of when things were settling down. Um, and I went back to Mass. I started to go every week. And so I approached the priest at the time about joining RCIA, and he told me, um, so I was expecting to be able to finish RCIA after joining about the halfway mark to Easter. Um, so I was kind of waiting till I got closer to Easter to actually start going to mass. Um, but he told me that it would be good for me to go through the full cycle of RCIA. So that uh, kind of forced me to wait until next, the, um, the following August to actually join RCIA. So I was expecting to be baptized that Easter. And um, I was disappointed at that. I was like, I'll have to wait um, several months until the fall. So that was very disappointing. I was like, I'm ready to be baptized now. Uh, Like if I was still a Baptist, they'd be like, oh, you want to be baptized? We'll baptize you next week. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, that that, uh, Baptist kind of influence did stick with me. I think it's really an attitude of indifference. Um, Yeah, like... The, the participation in the Catholic church is another thing. Like um, there isn't much participation in the Baptist church. You have, of course, like the musicians or kind of people, random people being invited up to give like the homily. It's not called the homily, of course, in a Baptist church, but um, there really isn't kind of a commitment. So there's not really a participation in the Baptist church. Mm. Um, so yeah, committing myself to commitment was one big one big obstacle. Yeah. I guess it's like with everything, you know, you get out what you put in. And, um, and so, you know, I was active in my Baptist church and played on the worship team or I was a pastor for a while. And, uh, and, you know, I, I, I do see though, that in the Catholic mass, at least in the Novus Ordo, you, it's much, it's very participatory participatory you know you're you're praying you're singing you're standing you're sitting you're kneeling you're doing all of those things so i definitely get that yeah yeah that was um really a a slight obstacle just the like annoyance of standing up sitting down kneeling um in the baptist church you kind of sit down the entire time so there was (laughs) laziness there but um i'd say after a month of going to mass like four 
consecutive weeks of going to mass, I started to enjoy it. I started to enjoy the routine of having mass every week, of having uh, church every week. So of going to church every week, I mean. So tell me a little bit about the uh, Catholicism for the modern world. What made you decide to start this podcast and uh, yeah, the impetus behind it? Yeah. So um, I mentioned writing. I was a writer. I was a fiction writer starting out, but I switched to nonfiction about that same fall. And so that April, I randomly decided one, one night to start a Catholic blogging publication. I had a few Catholic articles I wanted to put them all together. I never really imagined inviting many other writers to that publication. Um, I also created a publication at the same time for books, like kind of a literature club, a book club. That one never took off, thankfully. Uh, This other one, however, did take off. In about three weeks, it gained probably 50 writers. I was reaching out to them. There really wasn't an active... uh, Catholic group on the site, medium.com. So when I was reaching out to people and kind of giving them an offer, they couldn't refuse. They would join this publication. We would help edit their work. We would promote their work. Um, And it kind of united just the Catholic writer base on this site for the greater good um, under one banner. And so that was really the start of the blogging publication that led to the website, taking the success from that publication, just replicating it on a website Um, but it really took me until another year. So February, um, the next February after that April, April was when I started the publication, but that next February, I was planning to do this all along was just to interview the writers that I met along the way, the people, interesting people I met. Um, and so if you watch the earlier episodes of the podcast, a few of those people, like the first uh, three people I interviewed were writers from this publication. Um, but yeah, the podcast kind of took off in another direction unexpectedly as um, it transitioned into people I knew. So I interviewed my priest, my godfather, um, maybe some other people I'm forgetting. But then after that, it went in another direction. People like Jason Everett or Mike Aquilina, sort of these Catholic um, names, these well-known Catholics. I was reaching out to them. I was like, oh, I might as well reach out to them, see what happens. Um, but I was surprised just by their generosity, their um, their enthusiasm to go on a podcast that only has like 50 subscribers that probably won't get many views. But um, a lot of these Catholic guys, uh, um, compared to maybe some of these secular celebrities, they're a lot more approachable. They're a lot more down to earth. So, yeah, that was kind of how the podcast started. And um, I haven't done an episode in a month. I'm excited to get back into that. I have some big hopes for that, really, to just interview um, a lot of maybe overlooked Catholic people. I'm planning to do like an interview with Paula Jernberg, a sacred music composer um, who's actually still making sacred music, composing sacred music. Um, so yeah, a lot of it now is just my personal interest, Mm. um, people I want to talk to, and it gives me an opportunity to talk to interesting people. So, yeah, well, as a fiction writer and someone interested in fiction, I'm curious if there's any, uh, Catholic influences that, uh, that in your journey here to Catholicism, have you run into any, any fiction writers that really stand out to you and help you in your faith? Ooh, um, not really. There are a few writers who kind of influenced my own writing, maybe not my spirituality. Um, those writers would be like Leo Tolstoy. I pretty much, when I was writing a few of those drafts, I was just, I was trying to write like a Leo Tolstoy novel. Mm. Um, and he, he tries to tell like uh, moral stories. So I guess Tolkien, Tolkien, of course, his, um, big thing was telling stories where the characters are redeemed um, sort of reflecting the the Bible where characters are redeemed or the Christian life in general, you have redemption. Um, And so he didn't like Shakespeare, uh, Tolstoy nor Tolkien. There was another big writer I'm forgetting at the moment, but they didn't like Shakespeare just because a lot of the Shakespeare stories never redeemed the characters. 
you had tragedies. Um, so when I was writing, I always tried to redeem my characters. Um, and that really influenced my outlook on life, just to see life as redemptive. Um, even if there is evil, there is suffering. It's always, there's always the potential for redemption. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I actually, I, I grew up really not liking fiction and, uh, and especially fantasy, never really liked fantasy. I always thought it was like, it was just too ethereal, things like that. And when I became Catholic, I fell in love with fantasy because, you know, we are, as Catholics, we are involved in that sacramental worldview. So I, I, you know, I, I have come to really love, uh, you know, things like, um, J.R.R. Tolkien, of course, and C.S. Lewis, Till We Have Faces. Uh, there was also um, reading Orthodoxy really opened up my mind by G.K. Chesterton, opened up my mind to that kind of idea of fairy tales and about imagination and and how that fits within Catholicism. So I was just curious if if that was something that you experienced as well. But I guess as a fiction writer, you probably always had a love for fiction that I, I didn't. So uh, Not really, I think. Just me starting to write um, sort of started on a whim that was during um, my first year of college during the pandemic when there was no social activity. So I just started to write short stories just kind of out of boredom. Um, mm-hmm. But before that, I was never really a reader. I read The Lord of the Rings back in middle school, but um, like during high school, I, I don't think I read a book um, by my personal choice like for those entire four years. Um, but reading really was one of the things that, um, helped me like grow as a man, grow, um, religiously by reading, say some of the philosophers, the, uh, virtuous philosophers, Marcus Aurelius or Epictetus. Um, those were like the first self-help books. So reading those mixed with like the modern stuff, Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, that was a really big influence. And, C.S. Lewis, you mentioned him, just reading mere Christianity. That really helped me after reading the entire Bible, say in like four months, speeding through it, sitting down and reading mere Christianity, helped me put it all together, helped me unpack what it all meant. So, yeah, one of my favorite books, Mere Christianity. So, yeah, it's a great one. <laughs> well, I want to switch gears here because, uh, one of the things that we're focusing on right now in uh, the White Catholic Podcast is on the the One Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. So uh, we just did an episode on the unity of the Catholic Church and then did an episode on the diversity of the Catholic Church. And I mentioned World Youth Day. And so it was really neat seeing your posts on social media because you were there at World Youth Day in Lisbon, Portugal, just a couple of weeks ago. So I would love to hear your experience. Tell me, first of all, tell me what made you decide to go? Ah, so, um, that was also random. I think there's a general track record of me just sort of doing things randomly. Um, really God's grace moving me in directions, um, that I would have never, um, maybe thought of even days before. So this, this was one of those moments where I was on the archdiocese website. It was right after I graduated college. I wanted to become more active in the church. So I was looking for clubs and I saw, this post about World Youth Day. I had no idea what it was. I saw that it was a trip to Portugal. Um, it was only $3,000. I've never been outside of the country. So um, I was interested in this. Um, there was a trip. Well, this one, never mind. I won't mention that. There's a trip to Jerusalem that, that came up months later, but I already signed up for the World Youth Day. So I was locked in that one. Um, I didn't even know we were going to Fatima until the first meeting of the trip. They mentioned Fatima, and that was a big surprise. But I did know that it was a really a massive gathering of Catholics, one million Catholics. Um, there was a there was an estimate of one point five million for this event. Um, it actually reached two million, so there was more people than they expected. It seemed like it was more than that, um, and it really was more than that if you count the local people say people who weren't um, explicitly participating, but people you saw on the subways or in the stores. Um, I got to have a lot of interesting conversations with those people. Um, yeah. What's, the, what's the biggest city near you? Salt Lake city. 
do you know how many off the top of your head? Do you know how many people live in Salt Lake City? Uh, in the metropolitan area, like the whole Salt Lake City metropolitan area, probably like what one and a half million. Oh, so one and a half million. That's a lot of people. Um, yeah. I'll give the local example that I've been telling everyone here locally. So Louisville, Kentucky, um, not Louisville, Kentucky or Louisville, Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky. Um, there's 500,000 people in Louisville, which is a big number. Um, and so if you just imagine, well, I forgot to mention Lisbon, Portugal, where we went, where, where World Youth Day was, there was 500,000 people in that city. So if you just imagine Louisville, Kentucky, um, kind of tripling in size overnight uh, to about 1.5 million, 2 million people, that's what happened in the city. Um, <laughs> so if you can just imagine like the chaos of that, uh, people on the streets, people crammed on the subways, on the buses, there was people in the supermarkets just um, during the 100 degree weather that we had to hike back um, from the mass that Sunday, it was 80 degrees, 90 degrees every other day of the week. But that Sunday it was a hundred degrees. And so we all had yes. to hike and we would all stop in those supermarkets just to rest, to get some <laughs> air conditioning. We would <laughs> sit against the walls, um, in the, the lobby and just sort of take up the entire store. There's lines to the bathroom that were probably 30 people long. And, um, like just the entire event, all the Catholics there, they were unavoidable, no matter who you were, where you were. Um, if you were in an apartment building, you could look out and see people. Um, that's one thing I noticed during like the big masses, I would look up and see people just on the roofs or on the balconies. There was people everywhere. So um, <laughs> there was a lot of... I can, I can... <laughs> I can kind of relate. I mean, we have, I live in a, in a kind of small town area in a valley and we have this thing called Swiss days. And I think the town is maybe 5,000 people, 4,000 people. But when Swiss days happen, it's like, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people come into town. I mean, it, it wow. feels really crowded. <laughs> so I'm like, I went yeah. the first year and I'm like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> yeah. That's um. so like world youth day is like one of the biggest events ever like every world youth day has hit the record books i think there was one in the philippines maybe 10 years ago that reached 5 million people you just imagine the uh, amount of catholics in the philippines that broke the record um the guinness world guinness book of records it um, was the the biggest event of all time just the amount of people there so it is a witness to the unity of our faith um there was a lot of potential for chaos, but um, one local businessman, he was a um, an atheist businessman, he just remarked how peaceful it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the murder rate actually goes down during most World Youth, uh, World Youth Days in the cities where they're at. Um, there's no shoving, though people are uh, crammed tight as they can be. There's no like, um, there is hurry, but there's no shoving, no pushing. Um, no shouting at other people, no fighting. You never notice like security actually doing their job, never breaking up fights. Um, and that would, that would be something you would notice at maybe a music concert or the mm-hmm. Olympics during the Olympics, the murder rate rises wherever the Olympics uh, mm. take place, just because there's a lot of competition. Um, but yeah, this businessman, he remarked how there was just so much unity and he, he was so close, um, so close to the Christian faith, because that was the reason for the unity, for the peace. Hmm. So tell me about some of the activities. So you, you're there for what? Is it 10 days? Um, see, it all blends together. I think it was <laughs> 12 days or 13 days. days counting the travel. So, yeah, about okay. 10 days. Okay. So, so tell me a little bit about some of the highlights of the activities. What can people expect to do on, at these world uh, youth days? Uh, So um, the real answer is a mix of tourism, uh, penance, and I guess just plain joy. So you have um, a full experience kind of of the Christian life. There's a lot of penance, um, sleeping, um, we slept on a basketball gym floor for those 10 days. Every night, 
There were 300 people in that gym, just a small high school basketball gym in Portugal. There was 300 people snoring every night. (laughs) The lights didn't go off until 12 o'clock. And even then people were still running around. Oh, weird. Really, really all night. So, um, so you suffered. You, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, you suffered for the Lord. <laughs> yeah, I think that many people suffering. Really, I'm sure some people <laughs> sleep in nicer um, places. There, we wax. We actually walked into a bullfighting arena. It was a really nice bullfighting arena. They put down carpet and they had bean bags and couches below the arena. They had probably a, a food court of 10 restaurants, like high quality restaurants. So we didn't get to sleep in a fancy place like that. But um, I'm sure like a lot of people might have better stays, uh, resting areas than that basketball gym, um, but not really. So a lot of people just, they get accepted by um, host families. People, the local people will um, except a group of 10 people and just let them sleep on the couches or sleep on the floor. I imagine that happens as well. Um, mm. but yeah, there's not much lodging when that many people come to a city. Mm. Yeah. I was, I was, I, I heard stories of people kind of, they sleep outside and they're sleeping in tents or they're just sleeping on sleeping bags. And yeah, and that's, like um, that. That's one thing I forgot to mention. There was the night of the vigil before the big Sunday mass. Um, Everyone, all the 2 million people slept outside. So if you look on Google Earth, you can see just months ago how they were digging out this, probably a huge hill or something. I'm not really sure what was there, a park maybe. Um, So when we were sleeping there, it was nothing but dirt and rocks. It was dug down quite a bit. Um, you'd wake up during the middle of the night and just take the rocks out from under you, under you and throw them away. Um, not, not too far, not at other people, but just sort of, um, pat them out of the way. And, um, I didn't get much sleep that night. I only slept about four hours. I think four good hours sleeping on my back. You almost had to sleep on your back on that dirt. Um, and there were people all night just walking around. You saw some of the um, what would you call them? The more, um, energetic cultures, like the Spanish people or Italians, they were dancing all night. They were getting big groups and talk. And, um, yeah, me just being a German, I slept pretty quickly <laughs> in silence. So <laughs> what, um, talk to me about some of the, the event highlights that you, that you participated in. Yeah. So, um, I made a video about this the other day, but I met Bishop Barron at the airport. He was on oh, cool. the first airplane I've ever been on. Bishop Barron was on that plane. Wow. Um, and so I saw him, him and two other priests, I think, just walking. Um, and I, I pointed at Bishop Barron. I shouted, Bishop Barron, just out of excitement. Once I recognized his face, he has a very recognizable face. He's a huge man. Like six foot four, I believe. So. Is he really? Wow. Yeah. No idea. <laughs> you can't, uh, can't really miss him. And so, um, yeah, I think he was a little tired. It was like nine o'clock at night. He was like, hello. <laughs> um, yeah, he gave us a blessing right there. My entire group of 25, mm-hmm. he gave us all a blessing. And then afterwards, as we were, I don't know the terminology, but boarding the plane, we were all sitting, waiting. Uh, one of the people in my group has a podcast, the Spirit Inspire podcast. And so he interviewed him professionally with a professional camera. Um, me, of course, I just talked to him after the fact. I invited him on my podcast. Of course, I had to do that. Um, and of course, he seemed busy. So I said, in three years, that's uh, when I want to do it, three years from now. So <laughs> that'll be fun. Heads up. <laughs> yeah. By then he may be a cardinal. You never know. <laughs> yeah, he probably will be. Maybe the Pope even. Yeah, maybe. So yeah, I saw him twice, actually. There was the big American event. Um, and I shouted at him again when I saw him. I was sent back to the gate uh, to wait on some other group members. My group was like a mile in the other direction. And so as soon as I got to that gate, a bus came to that gate and stopped and 50 bishops were getting off that bus. And so I knew 
there was a good chance I'll see Bishop Barron again. So that's what I was looking for. And he recognized me because I was wearing a flat cap. Not many people wear flat caps. And I have that uh, very noticeable, um, distinctive Southern accent. So when I said his name, he turned around and kind of stopped the security, stopped the other bishops behind him just to shake my hand. He said, how are you doing? And me being surprised again, kind of uh, just that excitement. I said, nice to meet you again. Um, though I already <laughs> met him once a few <laughs> days before that. So, um, yeah, I met, I got to meet Jason Everett. Um, he, he was one of the people I interviewed months ago. And so he was giving a talk and I, I was like, um, just walking by asking people where, where he was at, where's Jason at? And so I noticed a crowd of maybe a hundred people just surrounding one guy. And so that was him slowly I made my way toward him and he I didn't know if he would remember me it was a short interview uh last aug not last august last april maybe and so he did recognize me he did remember me though I'm bald now as well that doesn't help um so yeah, he's a very friendly guy I actually met a girl from britain she was another girl I interviewed she's an wow. actress in britain um, and so we kind of were talking and she was in Portugal to visit her husband's family for just one day. And so we kind of, we were at the same place, at the same time, one of the catechesis, uh, sessions for the Americans. And so we met, um, that was very cool. It's kind of like a big family reunion. All of the Catholics mm-hmm. are there. Uh, you see bishops, nuns, brothers, priests, and tons of lay people. So you see the universal church, like at its full potential capacity. Um, they say uh, that 30% of all seminarians have attended a world youth day in the past. Mm. So you just um, seeing all of those vocations really does make a huge difference. What was that? What was that like? I mean, here you are, you're from Kentucky. You, have never left the country and not only are you going international to Portugal, but you're going there and you're going to be surrounded by one and a half million people that speak all sorts of different languages. How did that feel? Yeah. So um, I guess I mentioned I was a writer. I was always an introvert. I was an introvert in high school, introvert in college. Um, but Working at the Abbey of Gethsemane, that's my current place of employment, a monastery, the oldest monastery in America. Hmm. Uh, I became an extrovert somehow. It wasn't the podcast that made me an extrovert, just um, being willing to talk to random people. But I think just working alongside the monks who um, have to think of other people in that community life, that community setting, they think of other people, or at least they should think of other people more than themselves. Um, And just making fudge, the act of making fudge while you're making fudge, you can't really be intra. um, You can't be thinking of anything besides making fudge. You have to focus on what you're doing or else you'll mess up something. You won't do the right thing at the right time. So I think that really carried over just in my skills of talking to people, of noticing things or picking up on things. So they say the, the big papal mass where there was 2 million people, that was an extrovert's paradise. And I tried <laughs> to talk to um, pretty much everyone I met, pretty much everyone. I would approach people and just kind of interview them. I had an audio recorder that's very unique compared to a camera. A uh, camera only has like an hour of battery life. But by the end of the trip, I think I got eight hours of audio recordings of just me talking to people. Um, I wasn't always recording as well. I was just um, talking about anything. I was asking them why they were at World Youth Day, of course, but on the other hand, asking them to tell me a joke, like in their own language. And it was always funny because they could never think of a joke. <laughs> it's hard to think of a joke if someone asks you to tell a joke. So, um, yeah, that was really, um, of course, there's foreigners in Kentucky. You see people from other cultures, but um being like immersed in that, it was a really cool experience. You kind of see just how similar everyone is. Young people, they all have that same joy, um, the same hopes and 
fears, concerns. And um, yeah, I think, again, it's just the, the unity of the Catholic faith, uh, disciples of all nations, like go and make disciples of all nations. Well, there was disciples from every single nation on earth at World Youth Day. Probably a very different experience than you had kind of in like a Baptist church or maybe Lutherans are a little bit larger as far as like, uh, you know, they have the World Federation of Lutherans. But I mean, yeah, how was it? How how was that eye opening for you? Like, man, this is way different than anything I've ever experienced. Yeah, it's um, again, you see just bishops from every country on earth. I met the Bishop of Nottingham, um, where the fictional story of, or I guess not fictional, the legend of Robin Hood takes place. Hmm. So it just came to me to ask him, has Robin Hood been causing any trouble in the diocese lately? <laughs> <laughs> so that's up on the YouTube channel right now. If anyone wants to see that. Have you cleaned up the corruption in the church? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He mentioned that the sheriff was the one causing the issues. The sheriff. That's true. That's true. It was the sheriff. It was the sheriff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, uh, I'm curious. Are you, are you thinking about going to uh, four years, going to Seoul, South Korea to the next world youth day? Ah, so that one, that really does build off the Fatima aspect of this world youth day. Um, Our lady talks about communism quite a bit, the air of Russia. So South Korea, that's right in the middle of that era. It's surrounded by North Korea and China and Russia, really nearby. So that'll definitely be an interesting World Youth Day. Mm. Um, Interested in going even. Um, I don't think there will be any dangers, of course, but just like having that many Christians go to one place. I know South Korea is pretty Christian as it is, um, pretty Catholic even. So That'll be a really special World Youth Day, and I'm definitely interested in going back to one of these. Um, it's almost uh, indescribable, just the amount of joy. Everyone goes there really to um, grow in faith, to experience joy. Uh, there's, I'm sure there's bad things that happen when you get that many people together, but you don't notice them. You just mm-hmm. notice the amount of joy, and so that was a huge um, juxtaposition coming back to America and going to a Kroger the next day, just walking around that store and no one was talking. Um, like I just, I asked a lady if I could pet her dog even just cause I was used to approaching random people in Europe. Cause when yeah. you're in an atmosphere like that, everyone's talking, strangers are talking, they're exchanging sort of uh, flags or pins um, there's a flag behind me. The audio people can't see that, but um, yeah, it's a really joyful atmosphere. So that's what hmm. I would be interested in, just experiencing that joy again. Hmm. I bet, I bet that's that's uh, such a unique experience because you know when we go places around strangers, like when I go to IKEA or to a grocery store, like you're mentioning, like I don't know what I have in common with other people, and so I never really dawns on me to strike up a conversation with a stranger, but here we have everyone with a like-minded faith. And I think it's such a, it's such a picture of heaven, you know, like where we talk in revelation, yeah. where it says, then I saw a multitude from every tribe, nation, um, and ton. And there they were around the throne. I, I, I think of that and I'm like, man, that's, that's, it's gotta be awesome because everybody has, something profound in common. And I, and I also think, you know, when, to your point about like the, the less crime and, um, and, you know, uh, a lack of uh, real like vandalism and problems and things like that in, in those circles, I think that's, you know, I, I just think that that's kind of that air of holiness. You know, you have people that have made this trip they're serious about their faith you know it's like you're talking about people like barely go to church on christmas and easter and here are people going all the way across the world to to Mm. this this uh this festival of of christianity so i think uh i think that there's that's that just perpetuates that that holiness and that desire to um that desire for goodness and truth Yeah. yeah i think it's a really remarkable witness to the christian faith um, on the other hand, uh, just the 
locals, the maybe secular locals. I know Portugal is kind of dropping off in the faith, though our lady said Portugal would never lose the faith. They have been going downhill in recent times. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that'll really change now just because of the amount of people who were asking us questions. They would see like these Catholics just walking through the street, joyous. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they would become curious and they ask them questions. It, it was a really approachable atmosphere. So maybe you have people on the bus, they would, um, they would ask the Catholics questions and they would get good replies. There was um, just like a fire in every person there, like um, a fire of the gospel and they wanted to spread that gospel. So like even Pentecost. just me, like in, in my group, we talked to several people and um, noticed how we were making an impact on them. There's mm-hmm. one lady from Africa we were talking to her and we asked her what her name was. And she said her name, um, it was an African name, but it translated to world. So that was really cool. There's another guy. Um, his name was Francisco and that was uh, Francisco, I believe the, is the Italian pronunciation, but that was the day before we went to Fatima. Um, and Francisco being one of the Fatima children, that was a, a most uh, coincidence there. And that lady's name being world, of course, that's a huge coincidence at the World Youth Day. Um, so, yeah, thousands of conversions come from World Youth Day. And that's one of the things I don't think outside people can really understand unless they're there. I saw like a lot of um, conflict over small things, like about how uh, the hosts were kept, like at the night of the huge vigil. I'm not sure if that was kind of like a Mm. universal thing, how they were kept in storage bins. Uh, There were people there in adoration, of course. I think they maybe could have covered those. They could have done a few things better, but there were some people complaining about the the bowls that the Eucharist was stored in. Um, There's really, there was nothing terribly wrong with those bowls. They were bought from Ikea, but besides (laughs) that, um, just plain bowls. And people were getting stuck on small things like that. Um, and really everyone who was at World Youth Day was witnessing conversions, witnessing the, like the transformative um, power of that many Christians, the universal church being in one place, just the power of that. And then you come home and see like a YouTuber just talking about something small that no one there even really noticed. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I, I came across the post from, I saw the picture of, where the hosts were kept into his like plastic bins. And um, I saw a picture of like three people there kneeling and praying in front of it. And I, I saw a post from one of the girls that was there praying in front of or one of the young ladies there praying in front of the, the host. And, um, and she, she was like, that's me in the picture, you know? Uh, and she, first of all, expressed um, that, there were so many great things about world youth day and it was disappointing to see this and it, it felt scandalous. And she tried to like find out what was going on before she made a big deal of the, of the situation. My kind of response to it is, you know, it it just reminds me of the nativity a little bit, you know, Um, Jesus, Jesus, there's no room for Jesus in the, in the, in the ends. And so uh, he's born in a cave and and it's it's a bit scandalous in some ways, but at the same time, um, at the same time, it's the shepherds that come and they see him, and they're you know they're not wor- worked up about why is this guy in a cave. They just worship him, and I think um, you know we will always never treat G- Jesus to the to the holiest that he deserves, but I I don't think that should always distract us from worshiping him you know what i mean that's the the proper posture and so i that's kind of my takeaway from it i'm i'm glad that you uh have this this experience of joy and goodness from world youth day and and are not like hyper focused on on kind of those little things i think i think sometimes we focus on the negative and we don't see the we and and that distracts people from seeing the truth and goodness and beauty of of the catholic faith yeah, and there were really some other critiques. They would say, oh, some of these people aren't dressed as modestly as possible um, at a Catholic event, at a mass. But really, if you just look at the world in general, like modesty has declined. Um, right. 
it's like Michael Lofton made the point, like you could either really turn those people away or kind of accept them in and then just gradually help them evangelize them. Mm -hmm. So that's what it does. It really meets people where they're at. Um, Like world youth day, maybe not, it might not have um, organ music all the time. You hear kind of the guitar music, um, not during the big papal mass, but during some like the smaller masses, you might have like just local guitar music and, um, a lot of people maybe wouldn't like that. Maybe I'm not the hugest fan of that at a mass, like just kind of drums, maybe. I don't know if there were any drums, but just sort of like more um, secular sounding music. Like at the World Youth Day, I kind of appreciated that just because it um, was uh, representing a certain culture that I wasn't um, a part of, but I understood that that music was enjoyed by a certain culture. So um, that's really what it is. The Catholic church, there's room for everyone. It's a home for everyone. And maybe if we don't have uh, particular likings for something, we can at least um, just tolerate them for other people's sakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a big, a big, big tent. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, one question I have for you is, um, Tell me about Fatima. Tell me about your experience there. What was that like? Yeah, so um, we got there about 2 o'clock that day and had to leave at about 9. So we were kind of rushing through it. Um, Didn't get to go to any gift shops. Um, Barely ate. We ate in like 10 minutes and then had to get on the bus. Uh, We had the option to eat or go to the gift shop. Some people went to go to the gift shop. Those people who went to the gift shop, missed the bus they got back maybe five minutes after the bus had to leave like required by law to leave um so they had to take an uber back um yeah overall uh to look at the good things it was a really great experience it was just two hours away from lisbon so it's out in the countryside um lots of vegetation lots of kind of bleak trees maybe like i don't know how you would explain the trees they're just uh, really solemn. It's like a, a solemn atmosphere. You walk the path of uh, the Stations of the Cross. There's a huge Stations of the Cross path. Um, and you see like the apparition sites. You see where these children uh, farmed um, or where they kept their sheep, I believe it was, their sheep. Um, and so like these places are still intact. You can take a picture where the Fatima children, the three Fatima children took a picture, like a very serious picture. They weren't smiling back then. So um, a lot of us tried to recreate that by like doing the most serious face we could do. Um, so yeah, that was, it was a very unique experience. Of course, there's the hotels in Fatima now, kind of the more tourist aspect of it, but like in the middle of it, the heart of it, there's, um, just that true spirit of Fatima. There's people, and I actually did this, the kneeling. I don't know if you ever heard of this. People kneel and they walk on their knees for like um, several minutes, 10 minutes, like to the main, um, the main statue of Our Lady of Fatima. There's a huge trail like in the middle of the um, courtyard and people are just kneeling and walking on their knees and um, I believe I saw blood on the ground there. There's tons of grime. Like when you stand up, you're surprised how dirty your knees and your shoes are, but it was well worth it. That's one of the, um, one of my most, one of my favorite parts from the entire Fatima trip. Um, yeah, just sort of like walking where the Fatima children walked. I think that's mm-hmm. a really remarkable thing. And going back a bit to Lisbon, there was, the birthplace of St. Anthony. Um, there were relics from St. Therese, her vertebrae. There were, um, there was St. Thomas Aquinas's school, his entire school, his head. Um, it was a big wow. head, <laughs> a big brain. He was a, a great thinker, but yeah, it was like the Christian faith um, or like the Christian tradition actually existed. These saints actually, actually existed and walked where we're standing at right now. So that was very cool. Yeah. Not to mention St. Jerome there in Lisbon as well. And yeah. Yeah. I didn't Uh, get to see St. Jerome 
anything. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, so that's super exciting. I think I, you know, going back to your point about uh, the conversions that take place, I think it's so exciting to. I, I think sometimes in our in our corners of the world, we sometimes think that this is what exists. You know, like this is the only thing that exists. And um, and like for example, I went to Spain uh, last fall, and I went with some friends. They took uh, went to mass together, and they're not particularly religious, and so. He was saying, and there was like hardly anyone there in this beautiful church, you know, and he was like, he's like, uh, he's like, nobody's religious here anymore. Like nobody. And I wanted to be like, you should come to Utah because Utah is Catholicism is the fastest growing religion in Utah. It is like my parish is an exciting place. It's usually packed on Sundays. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's one of those things where we can see the spirit of God moving in different places. And just like in Pentecost, right. You, you see these believers gathered there and that energy, the Holy spirit just, just becomes infectious. And then you have 3000 people that day that are, that become Christians and are baptized. So I'm, I'm excited to, you know, I, I, I would love to have a world youth day come to the United States. I think that would be invigorating for the Catholic church here or like in other places, maybe where, where it's, it's become a little bit stale for people to really see what the true nature of the church. Yeah. I do know they had like a minor one. They have minor ones in between the big ones. And there was one in Denver, like Hmm. 1993. Okay. John Paul II. And that was a couple hundred thousand people. That was a huge event. I do know there's the National Eucharistic Congress taking mm-hmm. place next year in Indianapolis. I'm definitely interested in attending that after um, just seeing the uh, the beauty or the, the good things that happen when that many Catholics get together in one place, having that many bishops, that many priests in one place, um, really the entire Christian family together. It's, uh, as you said, infectious. It's like a, a fire, like a a few people have a deep spirituality. Um, it really spreads to the entire people, the entire group. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's like that um, in general, just the power of groups. It's like you're influenced by the five people you surround yourself with the most. Like that's who you are, those five people. So if you just surround yourself with that many Catholics, you really live the faith. You live it out uh, to the, in the fullest. Well, I want to end with one more question for you, Michael, and that is uh, for su- for people that are thinking about going to World Youth Day four years from now, what's one, two pieces of advice that you can give them? It could be super practical, it could be spiritual, but what, what, what were a couple of things you'd say, oh, you, you should do this or you shouldn't do this? Hmm. Yeah, so I guess the main thing, um, I didn't have many expectations going in, I tried not to avoid our research. I mean, research Lisbon. I didn't want to spoil like what it would look like or kind of research every single day, what we would be doing. Um, so yeah, like once you're there, don't have, uh, these perfect expectations of doing these things every day or going to this place at this time. And, um, as we said at the start, really just the amount of people there, a lot of things do go wrong. Like maybe the bus doesn't come for 30 minutes um, after you were expecting the bus to come. So you miss an event or we tried to go to a Christopher West talk. And so there are people wrapped around the building, the huge building we missed. Uh, are they, they shut down? Um, are they stopped letting in people after about 20 minutes of waiting? So we went to get food and there was another talk two hours later. So we came back like, extra early this time for this second talk and we still missed it there was even more people there that time oh, man. <laughs> um, but yeah the beauty of just um, opening yourself up to what god gives you or where god leads you rather than where you think you should go or what you think you should do being open to really whatever comes up whatever is a part of god's will um, and I was noticing the birds. A lot of people in my group um, also noticed that I was noticing the birds. I was talking about them all the time. And during mass, we had mass outside maybe two or three times. And you could 
see the birds just walk through. And there's one time one of the birds like stopped at the priest's feet and just plopped down right there. And he joined us for mass for like five minutes. Um, wow. So even the, even the birds were being converted at the world youth. Day. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. What an amazing story. Well, yeah, awesome. but, uh, um, yeah, that's what birds do. They just focus on one thing and they go wherever God leads them. They don't worry about if there's food in certain places. They'll just walk and they'll pick up food. They'll eat it. So that's also one of the things. There's um, kind of that chaos again. I guess this uh, this might be my second point, but there is sort of a lack of food during that Sunday, Saturday a lot of people were dehydrated or tired from hiking six miles in 105 degree weather Um, however there was a blessing from that there was food just laying all over the ground people they were given food to go into the mass by the traveling company but as they were going out a lot of them didn't want to carry the extra weight so they just left on the ground so me being like a bird I was just walking around picking up food wherever I found it Um, (laughs) So yeah, lots of blessings in disguise at World Youth Day. Um, yeah, the the question, I guess, the other thing to expect, I'll give you maybe a good answer this time. Um, yeah, I think it just, um, again, God's will. Like if you go in with a mission, with a purpose, I sort of went in um, wanting to, it was like the night before the trip, People were telling me I needed to think of a purpose of going to World Youth Day to actually make it a pilgrimage. So it was really the night before the trip. I was um, kind of doing, well, it reminds me of doing homework the night before a big test. But I was like making one last YouTube video before I went on the trip. And I was just kind of reading through scripture. And I noticed like the end of the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. And so I was really trying to understand what that meant as I was at World Youth Day. I was asking people that, I was asking priests that, um, and one of the priests said that it means be perfect um, in mercy. That's the only way you can be perfect. You can't be perfect in your current imperfections. Um, Humans have a lot of imperfections. They can only reach God's mercy. They can forgive other people because God forgives everyone even if they're enemies, even before they were Christians, God forgave them, died for them. Even before they were created, God died for them. So that's um, one of the things I really developed, just seeing all the cultures, all the different people, really um, offering charity to them or offering love to them, sort of growing in that Christian love for everyone that uh, really the brotherhood of Christianity, just loving your neighbor. Um, and yeah, being, maybe this will be my second point. I do ramble a bit, but I get, I try to go back to the main point. Um, yeah. You're stuck with a big group of people usually. And so some of those people might have little things that they do that might be big uh, irritations for you, big irks that annoy you, especially when you're, with those people for 10 days. So that happens to everyone. One priest remarked that there was a really common theme at confession one day when everyone was going to confession before the mass, just how much um, sins or I guess really grievances with other group members, with Hmm. the other people around them. So you have to really um, just... I don't know. I don't know if you can prepare for that, but once you're there, just like allow that, allow your neighbor to maybe correct you or um, do something that you might find annoying at 12 o'clock at night if you're trying to sleep. Um, and really, that's just growing in mercy. So that's how I was growing in mercy, just forgiving other people. Mm, that's a great, that's a great suggestion. Well, Michael, thank you so much for for joining me today to talk about. Um, your experience, uh, your conversion experience, your, the podcast, um, Catholicism for the Modern World, as well as uh, your experience with World Youth Day. 
Catholicism is a huge, diverse tent, and hopefully you got a glimpse of it with Michael's descriptions of World Youth Day. If you're interested in going to the next World Youth Day, it'll be in Seoul, South Korea in 2027. I've linked to the official website in the show notes. Let me express my thanks to Michael Snellen for joining me to share his beautiful experience, and let me end with this sentiment. Jesus' arms are open wide, and so the church must be a place open to people from every tribe, ton, and color. And just as Michael said, there will always be little things about others that irk us. But one of the ways we can emulate Jesus and embrace that unity and diversity is to go out of our way to be charitable and merciful. Thank you for joining me for Why Catholic. Be sure to subscribe to Why Catholic wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also subscribe to my Substack site and get the next episode in your email inbox. As a subscriber, you get a special discount code to the Why Catholic Etsy store. If you've been blessed by this podcast and you're feeling generous, there's also a way to financially support it. And patrons get some extra perks. To become a free subscriber or a patron, just go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe. Also join me on Instagram at whycatholicpodcast, all one word. Thanks again for listening. My name is Justin Hibbard, and this is Why Catholic. God bless you.